Welcome to Healing Hearts, empowering critical care providers. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended as a training tool for Children's Hospital and Medical Center personnel. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Complete information regarding the podcast, including its limitations on usage, is available under the episode description. Welcome to Healing Hearts. I'm Dr. Laura Ortman, and I'm a cardiac intensivist at Children's Hospital Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska. Today, I'm going to be talking about venous blood gases, or VBGs. Before we get started, if you haven't listened to the arterial blood gas episode, stop now and listen to that one first, since I'll be referencing it frequently. There are a lot of differences between ABGs and VBGs, and I'm going to be talking about what those differences are, how to interpret VBGs, and what they can tell you that an ABG can't. So let's get started. In the previous episode, I discussed how we can get an ABG from any artery, and the results are going to essentially be the same. That's not true for VBGs, and we have to interpret them in the context of where they came from. For a patient without heart disease and good perfusion, a peripheral VBG may provide useful data about acid-base balance, as long as there wasn't a tourniquet placed causing tissue hypoperfusion. And if the peripheral VBG is entirely normal, that's reassuring. But if your patient is critically ill, has poor perfusion, or the venous blood gas wasn't easy to get, I would not trust it or make decisions based on it. Your physical exam and vital signs are going to tell you more than that VBG will. The best place to get a VBG in a patient with a normal two-ventricle heart is the pulmonary artery. This location contains venous blood from the entire body, so it's going to give the most accurate picture of the overall status of the patient. But we rarely have pulmonary artery catheters. So in the ICU, VBGs are generally going to be drawn from an upper extremity central line with a tip either in the right atrium or the superior vena cava. These will be reasonably accurate. How about a patient with a lower extremity central line whose tip is in the inferior vena cava, the IVC? Sometimes that's the only option we have, but I would not trust these gases. The IVC receives blood from the liver, kidneys, and gut, as well as the lower extremities. And the venous blood coming out of these organs is different. The liver is very metabolically active, while most of the blood going through the kidneys is only being filtered and not participating in gas exchange. This means the blood exiting the hepatic vein is going to be more acidotic and have a lower oxygen concentration than blood exiting the renal veins. Your VBG is going to look more like whatever vein the tip of the line is closest to, so be cautious about lower extremity VBGs. What about a patient that doesn't have a two-ventricle heart or has an intercardiac shunting, like an atrial septal defect. I do work in the cardiac ICU after all. If the tip of the line is in the right atrium, as it often is after heart surgery, there's going to be red pulmonary venous blood in the right atrium due to shunting across ASD. Don't get a gas of any kind from this line. It's worse than meaningless and may actually do your patient harm if you use that data to make decisions. Get a VBG from the superior vena cava if at all possible. Now let's talk about the values on the VBG. These numbers are measuring the same thing as the ABG, just in the venous blood instead of the arterial. The difference is in how you interpret those values. If drawn correctly and your patient is stable, a VBG can give you a reasonable idea of the patient's acid-based status and ventilation. The venous pH is on average 0.03 to 0.05 lower than the ABG, so slightly more acidotic. The venous PCO2 is going to be around 4 to 5 higher than the ABG. The bicarbonate and base excess will correlate closely between the two. So how do I interpret a VBG with a pH of 7.32 
and a PCO2 of 59. This is going to correlate to an arterial pH in the normal range around 7.36 and a PaCO2 that is still slightly high in the low to mid 50s. Notice that I said if your patient is stable, but since we work in the ICU, many of our patients will not be reasonably stable, so what then? Decreased cardiac output and slower blood flow through the tissues causes increased CO2 release per unit of blood passing through the capillaries. This leads to higher PCO2 in venous blood in patients with low cardiac output or shock. So the arterial PCO2 may be normal, but the venous PCO2 will be high. We'll call this difference the arterial venous CO2 gradient. Let me give you an example of a patient in my ICU right now. His VBG is 7.2951. Using what we learned earlier about the differences between ABGs and VBGs, you would guess that his ABG would be around 7.3247. So we would say he is mildly acidotic. But in this patient, an ABG drawn at the same time has a pH of 7.36 and a PCO2 of 40. The arterial venous CO2 gradient is 11, higher than the normal 4 to 5. This can suggest low cardiac output, and this particular patient is in the ICU for heart failure. This gradient can be used as another marker of perfusion, and the larger it is, the more I'm concerned. This means that we have to be thoughtful about whether we get an ABG or a VBG to assess a sick patient. VBGs are often easier to obtain if your patient does not have an arterial line. But if your VBG has a PCO2 of 60, are you sure it is just a respiratory problem and not a cardiac problem? It matters if you are going to make decisions based on this number. I always recommend defaulting to your clinical exam first and treating the patient based on that. But if you are assessing a patient for the first time or an established patient that has new decompensation and you want a blood gas to complete your assessment, get an ABG. Or if you have the access, get both. Now let's talk about the PVO2 and the venous saturation. These should not correlate with the ABG because the VBG is measuring the oxygen concentration in the blood after the oxygen has been extracted by the cells. If the PO2 on your ABG and VBG match, you have more problems than I can help you with on one podcast. We honestly don't talk about PVO2 much, and it is strongly associated with the venous saturation, often called the mixed venous saturation. I talked about mixed venous saturation in the low cardiac output part one episode, and I'm going to cover that again because understanding this concept is fundamental to working in an ICO. Let's assume your patient has two ventricles and has an arterial oxygen saturation of 100%. That fully saturated blood goes to the tissues, where the cells absorb oxygen from it. Under normal healthy circumstances, about 25% of the oxygen delivered is absorbed from the blood. That means the saturation in the venous blood is going to be 100 minus 25, so 75%. But if your patient is delivering less oxygen to the tissues because of shock or anemia or some other circumstance, even if the arterial saturation is 100%, the tissues will have to extract a greater percentage of the oxygen delivered in order to get the same total amount. So in these states, the venous saturation will go down. The mixed venous saturation is frequently used as a marker of cardiac output, and this number can be trended over time. Let's look at my heart failure patient again. He has an arterial saturation of 100%, and his mixed venous saturation today is 56%. That's low, and in his case is reflective of his decreased cardiac output. 
I already know he has significant heart disease, and under this clinical circumstance, I'm not going to do anything to try to make this number better. However, I'm still checking it daily to trend his condition. If tomorrow his mixed venous saturation drops at 36%, I'm going to get worried and try to figure out what has changed. Of course, the mixed venous saturation is dependent on the arterial saturation, and I work in a cardiac ICO, where many of our patients do not saturate at 100%. But the difference between the arterial and the venous saturation should be the same. So my single ventricle patient with an arterial saturation of 75% should have a venous saturation around 50% to fall as well. Understanding blood gases is instrumental to working in an ICO. I hope this helps, and I'll see you next time. Please subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Twitter at Dr. Ortman CICO for podcast updates and CICO education. For more information about Children's Hospital and Medical Center, visit childrensomaha.org. Thanks for listening to Healing Hearts, empowering critical care providers.